0: the business you have to take care of yourself and i say that in a way because i have gone through extreme burnout or when my body has just completely failed from the lack of sleep not eating on time lack of hydration whatever the case may be because you're so consumed with um running your business that the business starts running you so i was lucky enough that I had um, some big moments, um, some powerful moments that guided me to reflect on self-care. So I think self-care is massive. And for me, self-care is about, and it's different for everybody, um, is about just um, not moving so fast that you're not able to think. So, for example, um, uh, asking yourself once in a while, am I thirsty? Was I hungry or am I actually just thirsty?
1: Do I need some more water? Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Eat Real to Heal podcast. I am your host, Nicolette Richet, and on today's show we have a very special guest. She is a dear friend. She is a fellow entrepreneur. We used to work together in government and so, so, so much more. I've been wanting to get her on the podcast for so long, but she is a busy bee running a very wonderful and successful business. And that is Ellen Wee. Now, before we dive into Ellen's company and the incredible things she's doing with Spark Kombucha, we're going to teach you all about what that is. I want to first off just say thank you, thank you, thank you for all of our guests and to all of our listeners. We would not be able to provide this information, this knowledge to you if it wasn't for our guests taking the time out of their very busy days to share their expertise, their skill set, their knowledge with you. So if you are sitting there right now listening to this show, I just want you to send up a lot of love and a lot of gratitude to all the guests that we've had on the show to date. And also I want us all to share the love and to share the gratitude Um, to each other. And especially from me to you, because it's the listeners that inspire me to keep wanting to put out content out there, to keep wanting to share this information. When you write us back and tell us how much you're loving the show and how it's changed your life and that you've shared it with others, it just motivates me to keep going. And I know that I'm doing the right thing by sharing these stories of resilience and hope and diversity and overcoming Odds and so much more on our Eat Real to Heal show. So, I also want to let you know about our exciting and very, very, very big campaign that we launched this year 22 million strong, more than ever in light of COVID, where we see that 90% of the individuals that have died of COVID died with comorbidity factors in place. So they contracted the virus, but they also were suffering from diabetes, from heart disease, from all of the killers, the the true leading lifestyle chronic degenerative diseases that are preventable and reversible. And so COVID has really showed us that the work we are doing through all of our organizations, the Green Mustache in Canada, through Sea to Sky Thrivers, our charity, through our company, Richer Health Consulting, through our nutrition and detox wellness center that we have here in Canada, and so much more that the work we are doing is on point. We've had government agencies reach out to us and say, we need to scale our programs to more people across Canada, but also across the world to let them know that they eat, need to build resiliency in their body. And to build resiliency, they know now that eating predominantly a diet full of fresh, real, clean, whole foods that are abundant in those green leafy vegetables, in the diversity of those rainbow colors that come from all the plants that are out there, from the 250 to 350,000 edible plant species, the more we can consume of those and the least that we can consume of the saturated animal fat based products and the dairy that's out there. And also kicking our addiction to the processed refined foods that are out there. If we can do that, we can build resiliency within our bodies, our immune systems, our health, and that is how we actually build resiliency and fight COVID. So, if you are weak and suffering from a chronic disease, and when I say weak, it's that your immune system is weak, your body's in pain, you're tired, you know what I mean when I say that. Your mind might be strong, but your body is struggling, and. If you are suffering from a chronic disease, you really don't want to get COVID. You are one of the vulnerable people, but you're not alone because you're actually one of four individuals. And so one in four people in North America are living with a chronic degenerative disease that is preventable and reversible. You do not need to be living with it. But if you, do go get, if you do get COVID, it's much harder for your body to fight that virus versus if you build resiliency in your body by making sure you overcome your tissue damage syndrome. You build a healthy microbiome, you, which then lends itself to actually building a healthy hormone system, a healthy endocrine system. And when your body systems are working in unison together, which is a concept of complete totality that we teach at Richer Health then your body is going to be able to get through COVID. So it's really important that people understand the relationship between their existing chronic diseases and COVID and know that you have the power within yourself, within your family, within your community, and within your kitchen, especially because it all starts there with the food that you put in your body three times a day. When you do this, you are going to be able to thrive and survive anything. So... Our campaign that we launched, 22 million strong, is to be able to teach 22 million people by 2030 how to to successfully reverse their chronic degenerative diseases. And if we can do that, then we know we can crush this chronic disease epidemic that is upon us. But it starts with you listeners. You got to put this work that we're teaching you into action. This knowledge cannot just sit in you without you taking the action every day three times a day, and you can do it because we have interviewed guests on the show, doctors, physicians, people who've healed, who've been able to show us already that food is medicine. So that coupled with the evidence-based medicine, the hundred years of science that exists out there that shows us that our body needs nutrients directly from plants. If we can combine our actions with that knowledge, we can do anything. And more importantly, we can realize the innate human potential that exists within all of us and within you. We can express our genes in a healthy way. So you are living optimally, you are thriving with unlimited energy, with abundance, with complete um, unlimited capacity to tackle anything that you want in this world. That's what we're about at 22 million strong at Richer Health at The Green Mustache. We're there so that you can realize your innate human potential. So with 22 million strong, what better way to kick off a campaign than by having me, the CEO and founder of all these companies, run and cycle across Canada. So that means I'm going to be going from the Western side of North America to the Eastern side of North America, propelled solely on a plant-based whole foods, unrefined foods diet. And I'll be running and cycling to accomplish that. And of course, I'm doing this to raise awareness that we can thrive on a plant-based diet. I'll be fueling myself with plants the entire way and doing it well. And I want to show you how to do that. So you can follow us at our 22 million strong training tribe on Facebook. It's free to join. I share my training program, my nutritional plan, and so much more. So sign up for that so you can learn while I'm going through this training and the tour. And also, if you want to join us on the tour, I would love for you to join us because I love accountability and I love running and cycling with people. So please sign up on our website at 22millionstrong.ca so that you can learn how you can partner with us on this tour. Maybe you want to partner financially. That's awesome. You can also partner by joining me in the endurance training piece. You can also help co-set up that one of the 35 dinners we're going to be having across Canada, where we'll be meeting with Indigenous communities, physicians, and youth to uncover the barriers to eating well. We need to uncover and know what is stopping our citizens, our community members from eating clean, real food, but not only from eating it, but also accessing clean, real food or even knowing how to prepare clean, real food if you do get access to it. So that's what 22 Million Strong is all about. So please join us, participate in any way you can. We'd love to have you beside us as we journey across Canada and eventually even journey through the United States, because this message needs to get out there far and wide. Now, without further ado, let's jump into this amazing podcast, with Ellen Wee, the founder of Spark Kombucha, And before we do, I want to share a little bit more information about her. So after many, many seasons of snowboarding in Whistler, British Columbia, amazing resort community here that I live in, After snowboarding day in and day out and working during the evening in hospitality until the early hours, Ellen decided to go back to school. And with that, she got an office gig. So we ended up working together at the resort municipality of Whistler. She was in finance. I was in engineering doing sustainability work. And during this time, that's when she discovered kombucha, an amazing beverage that you're going to learn all about. And she became enamored with its refreshing taste. She started making it at home, and then she started sharing it with friends. And once she noticed that it was completely a scarce beverage in our community, that's when she made it her mission to bring kombucha to the Sea to Sky Corridor where we live. Her goal was simply to get a sample into our bellies and to also get us to pronounce it correctly. So it is kombucha. Kombucha. So Spark Kombucha is a handcrafted organic kombucha and she began serving this unique beverage, which is dry and brewed. She started this in 2015 in Whistler, Squamish and started serving it up at the local farmers markets all throughout Vancouver as well. So she specializes in dry brews, which is very unique. And Spark's flavors are characteristically fizzy and tart with just a tiny bit of sweetness. Because as you all know, we don't need those extra sugars in our diet. So Spark was originally only available via growlers and refills, but then she made the commitment to produce, um, and she wanted to produce, it. and she did this in the growlers because she wanted to produce the least amount of waste possible. But then of course, Sparks uh, consumers and supporters, they spoke up and of course bottles were added to her line. But let's dive into this podcast where you get to learn all about how Ellen was able to free herself from her corporate gig working nine to five to start and launch her own business, making them one of the most healthiest beverages around that is fermented. It's good for your gut. It's good for your health. And you're going to learn all about that here today. So stay tuned. And of course, you know what to do. Share this episode with all of your friends, because you know what? You might just inspire one of your friends by having them listen to this podcast to free themselves from their corporate nine to five gig and go out there and start a small business which could eventually just like spark kombucha be a big business so see you at the end folks thanks for listening hi everyone and welcome to the eat real to heal podcast i am your host nicolette riche and i am over the moon excited to have ellen Wee from spark kombucha on our podcast today welcome ellen to our show Hi Nikki, how are you? <laughs> I am doing amazing. I'm super excited to have you here and just for our audience um members, you know, Ellen and I go way back to the world of government when we were both working for the resort municipality of Whistler, you know, dressing up in our in our suits in Whistler you never wear suits you wear jeans and tops pretty much, but dressing up and going to work. Um, And now this incredible, beautiful, smart, intelligent woman is uh, running this beautiful company called Spark Kombucha. But let's go back, Ellen, into the world of government and tell us, you know, what was going on in your life at that time that sort of sparked that idea leaving this comfy cozy well-paying job in a beautiful resort town and that led you to want to leave and escape into the world of uh entrepreneurship
0: (laughs) that's a great question thanks nikki i think actually even one step before that i had sort of um moved to Whistler like a lot of people chasing dreams of like snowboarding all day and having the night shift job and just kind of having that really um, fast, quick-paced lifestyle of just having fun, a little bit of partying here in Whistler, (laughs) of course, but Because of that, I actually ended up craving quite a bit of stability. So I went back to school, did some courses, and that's how um, I ended up sort of working in local government, and that's where you and I met. And I think you said it perfectly. It was comfy. It was a cozy lifestyle, Um, great sort of atmosphere in the sense that you're in a mountain community, but you have like sort of the the city sort of conveniences of working that nine to five and having that office job. And, um, I think I was just really comfortable. I was packing my lunch every day, you know, being as healthy as possible, taking advantage of just kind of that nine to five coming home, spending time with the partner, just sort of all of that that I didn't have in kind of the, uh, radical life of like, riding all day and then working in restaurants all night, waking up and going back to riding and then taking a nap and going to the restaurant job. So yeah it was a a really nice change but I got really comfortable and um, I think I didn't know it at the time but I was craving something different and the way that you and I met was actually you were putting on this workshop and it was sort of like, I think it was related to stress. And I think I automatically thought that stress was always mental, like it it was all about kind of like, relaxing yourself and and like calming i didn't actually think about it the way that you sort of catered the workshop which was actual stress demands on your body so like toxins and um sort of supplementation and doing dry body brushing and all of those things that are related to the body, but not necessarily about like stress in the workplace as in like keep your posture straight and stuff like that. So that's kind of, um, that was a, a huge starting point because um, you kind of introduced me to a um, maybe a different type of lifestyle in the sense that Um, I just learned about the Gerson therapy through you. Um, That definitely sparked quite a bit because then I got heavily into juicing and implementing a lot of the, I guess now looking back their Ayurvedic sort of practices like dry brushing and like rinsing your mouth and all of these little things that were really easy habits to implement. Um, And that really like kind of, opened up a whole new world for me and I think it was a day that I was running errands um buying some vitamins in Vancouver and I stopped at a little health food store I I think it was a capers maybe before sort of choices kind of took over I'm not sure but I was thirsty so I was looking for a drink and I was like looking for something like a glass bottle that I could reuse so that I could put my ju- morning juices in and um, saw all of the sort of selections. And then I was like, oh, everything's got a lot of sugar. And there was one that I was like, oh, this one seems pretty good. And it was on special two for something. So I bought two, shook it up while I was in the car, <laughs> opened it, it exploded everywhere. And um, so kind of like the first bottle, I only got half of it, but I drank it and it was absolutely delicious. It was like that perfect, like tart, um, refreshing drink. And it turned out to be kombucha. So that kind of like um, really opened up the journey into kombucha and learning more about
1: it. And did you know, but, did you know about kombucha before that moment?
0: I knew it, but I didn't know the word for it. So um, lucky for me, I kind of like fermentation and sort of um, uh, different kind of concoctions is nothing new to me. Um, I was pretty much raised by my grandmother, who's like super old school. She always had these weird things going on. Our house is always stinky. I was... <laughs> she would tote me along uh, downtown Toronto we'd be hitting all of these like really sketchy places and like I remember one store that I loved going to it had all of these glass jars with like I think one glass jar that I really liked looking at was like the one with the dried lizards in it and stuff and this is at a super young age so I actually it was almost like uh, deja vu when I first tried kombucha because I knew I had tasted it, but I w- I couldn't really pinpoint it. But I know that it must have been somehow through my grandmother raising us that uh, she must have had some sort of version of it. And she would do things like fermented elderberries and all of these strange um things that it didn't really embrace at the time. And I've kind of come full circle now, but um, it was definitely something that was familiar. And I think each culture has a version of a
1: fermented product. Exactly. And so just so the audience knows, especially for those that most will be listening to this via audio, so they're not seeing right. your gorgeous face right now. Um, what's your ethnicity? I'm actually first born
0: Canadian but my heritage is Korean, South Korean. A lot of that's usually the first question people ask oh, are you from the North? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, South Korean. And um, so even my older brother was born in Korea, but I was born in Canada. Um, so it was a really unusual situation, particularly for me being sort of. Um, surrounded by the heritage and kind of that old school mentality like my because it was my grandmother she grew up during the war the depression like really hard times so that was kind of really all that I was used to yet I was growing up in this amazing beautiful country with so much abundance and a lot of my friends were sort of the the people that I met um most of them were used to this. So it was kind of, I I always felt kind of locked between um, the little sort of sliver between uh, sort of that old-school Korean heritage to what Canadian life, um, all the potential with sort of being a Canadian. So. It was a uh, an unusual situation being raised in that way, but I'm fully embracing sort of all of the ancient cultural traditions that I really pushed away at that time. But now it's really um, coming back in in demand. Like seeing kimchi at a health food store mm-hmm. is just it's actually quite amazing because when, when I was a kid growing up, like that's all the stuff that I was really embarrassed about, like we would hide it, like I would hide it, or um, like sort of all the weird smells that come from fermented soybeans and stuff, and that's the stuff my grandmother did, right, it was really kind of embarrassing when most people were used to sort of non-smelly foods, like just kind of like really the sort of maybe the standard American diet and that's uh it for me it was like go to school during the day and having that sort of um exposure and then coming home and having to deal with all of like sort of the ethnic (laughs) side of things but I think sort of having that world it really kind of um especially with my grandmother um She really taught me a lot of sort of um, preserving and really instilled the value. Now I know that she was instilling the value of really um, preserving, um, appreciating things when they come. So it was very... um, scarce for her so when she got something it was very very much appreciated so Mm -hmm. um it really goes hand in hand with like your perspective towards food as well
1: yeah and you know and it's interesting because in all the years that we've known each other I don't think your life and your story (laughs) and I think we just take it for granted because you know that we were you know even if we're first born, or I mean, in my case, I came from Africa when I was four. And our stories are so similar in that my grandmother as well passed down so much of her knowledge, like through my mom um, to me. And, you know, so it's not ironic that I'm in the world that I'm in of food as medicine, because in in every other culture outside of like colonized countries food is medicine and you know fermented foods and preserved foods but preserved in a wholesome way right where we are using nature's principles like bacteria or or um soil or or herbs or whatever it is um one thing i love about your story as well is um the fact that yes, when, you, when you're in a country and you have a different heritage, different culture that maybe what the norm around you is experiencing, kids are often embarrassed by that. And I just think how, you just brought an idea of like, how cool would it be if all schools had lunch programs where Mondays was Korean food and Tuesdays was Vietnamese food and Wednesdays was you know, Japanese and Indian and um, Sri Lankan and and like you literally, you know, Czech Republic, like there's so many different qualities of food and all of them have healing properties outside of the standard American diet. Oh, yeah. And
0: I I 100% agree. Um, And we're definitely seeing sort of, you know, Back when I went to school, it was hot dog days. That that was kind of like the big thing. And now, you know, my friends, kids and and p- other kids that I know, like they do actually have sushi day and like it's kind of gone from hot dog day to pizza day to sub day. So hopefully through a little bit more time and exposure, we do see sort of an up leveling of like diverse uh, cuisine within sort of this amazingly diverse country that we live in um yeah i would love to see that and i think um the interesting thing about um sort of those cultural traditions is that some of them and i would say even a lot of them um were sort of created out of necessity so it's amazing what happens out of necessity when you don't have sort of access to abundance, you really have to be creative and take advantage of those sorts of things. And I think, you know, that's kind of how sushi was created. It was actually a way to preserve um, fermented fish and they would layer it and it now sushi's become what it is now. And, and same with like sort of what we know as barbecue. um, Back in the day, it was a way of like sort of extending um, your supply of the meat that you did, did end up getting. So it's, it's really interesting how, um, things that you see as maybe a disadvantage can really work out to be beautiful things.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And so that led to then So how did your idea of, um, you you drank this kombucha that exploded all over your car and you liked it and intrigued you. And so then how did you go from working in government in finance to then, you know, coming up with the idea for Spark Kombucha? Yeah. And actually it kind of, launching it. <laughs> yeah, it
0: it's um It was a little bit of a ninja bug in the sense that it happened really slowly, but it was enough of a spark that I knew that it was something that I wanted to do. And it just kind of grew. Um, I think for me, because I had such a positive reaction to my first kombucha, I did have a really um, bad habit of not really sort of eating on time. And just, I think with running around in the city that day, I can be totally perked up and I and I felt really energized and I just overall felt good. Um so for me it was like, oh my god, why doesn't anyone know about this stuff? Why isn't why aren't my friends drinking it? So I think from there like after buying several bottles whenever I could because it wasn't readily available in the Sea to Sky corridor, it was a special trip and a stock up when I did go to Vancouver. And um I was like you know people do make this at home so I did quite a bit of um, researching and uh, took a deep dive and like maybe I could make this at home so I got my hands on a culture and I started brewing at home. Um, Like I said I was kind of used to all of these like weird looking concoctions in the house so the actual idea of making kombucha didn't scare me too much but I there wasn't a lot of information out there so I took a really science-based approach I was really quite concerned about like what critical points could we could I like keep an eye on to make sure that this was safe and that um, because it is kind of strange like if you actually see a jar of kombucha fermenting I actually usually don't show that to people because that's not the version that they see because it can be a little bit of a turnoff.
1: But, so hold on. Um, so before, hold on. Let's just go into explaining what kombucha is, because as you're explaining this, I'm imagining um, there's listeners out there that I know don't know about kombucha. I was just in Campbell River. Uh, recently, and we went to just a local grocery store, and and I was looking everywhere for the kombucha. My girls were craving something cold and refreshing to drink, and of course, health is a priority, so we don't buy sodas and pops or anything like that ever, and I asked, and the person's like, what is kombucha? <laughs> and and I almost fell over. I'm like, it's 2020. You don't know what kombucha is. And we're not like in a rural, rural area. But then I realized, I was like, wow, there's people who've never heard of it ever still. So explain what it is.
0: So I would probably, uh, when I ease people into it, I, I do say that it's, it's very similar to beer and wine as far as the process goes. So it is a fermented drink and it goes through a fermentation process. And it's a very simple combination of water, tea, sugar, and a SCOBY. And SCOBY is actually short for, um, it's, sorry, it's an acronym for symbiotic, Um, colony of bacteria and yeast. And that's kind of like the activation. Um, That's what sort of starts the fermentation process. Just like you would make um, sourdough bread, you need a sourdough starter, very similar to that. Or when you're making yogurt, you need a starter to activate the fermentation process. So it's a, it's a fermented drink made with tea. And um, what you're what you sort of end up with is like a fizzy, tart, slightly sour um, beverage that's quite low in sugar. Because although sugar is one of the main ingredients in kombucha, it's actually metabolized out. It goes through the fermentation process. So it actually transforms, um, so to speak. So um, it's usually drank cold. I actually love at room temperature and even flat and even unflavored but the popularity of kombucha there's a lot of different flavorings so think of it if you like um, cranberry and soda you'll most likely like a kombucha and it's um, it's a wonderful alternative to sort of the processed soda pops and and um, those kind of high sugar beverage alternatives that are out there
1: So one question I have, which you just brought up actually is a point that you brought up is uh, the carbonation because the carbonation is added afterwards. And does it even have to be part of the process? So there is
0: a natural firm, uh, sorry, a natural carbonation that happens. Um, So it does have an iridescent sort of texture in your mouth. Um, Most people like it almost as bubbly as like um, a soda pop so it does a lot of kombucha does have carbonation added to it but it's not required it's not you know if you're drinking a a flat uh, non-bubbly kombucha because it hasn't been closed off and held in the the co2 then there's nothing different about it it's just how you how you prefer to enjoy it.
1: Okay. And so, and I know you don't like showing people the culture, um, because it does look like the, almost like a big slimy mushroom almost that's growing on the jar. And then underneath is what's happening in the brew underneath, but it's that brew that has a lot of medicinal properties to it and nutritional properties. Can you speak about that a little bit too? And then we'll get back to how you launched your company.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, So I guess um, my sort of perspective on sort of the health products that are out there is that really, ultimately, you're addressing, giving your body everything it needs so that your body can do the work. So I don't make any claims that kombucha does this, kombucha does that, but it certainly does help me with a lot of issues that I was struggling with like digestive issues specifically as well as like allergy type of issues and um, so kombucha is more known as like a, a probiotic drink um, but the one thing that doesn't really get um, a lot of attention is Um, all the wonderful acids that are part of kombucha, the live enzymes as well. Um, In addition, it's uh, really good at detoxifying. So it aids in digestion as well as like a good liver um, aid as well. But like there's malic acid, amino acid, nucleic acid, acetic acid, lactic acid, glutathione, gluconic acids, so many different varieties of acids and um, all of that really feels like the best way to describe it is it's good for your gut. Um, yeah. It's good for your digestion. It's good for detoxifying. So in addition to the pro- probiotics, it has like a really um, cleansing effect um, on on you. And overall, if, if you are kind of lacking in those areas essentially it really helps you to absorb nutrients and um, it helps you through digestion and um, we know that nucleic acid aids in cell regeneration so um, I say all this but there isn't a ton of research um, on kombucha so I think that it's it's definitely it's kind of for some people, it's it's the be-all and end-all, but I really do believe that it's a compliment to everyday life. It's it's simple, it's easy, and it's awesome. So it's something that you can implement that's really going to be such a s- small thing that it's actually enjoyable. It's not work. Um, and meaning drinking kombucha. Making kombucha is another story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But... But um, it's just an, it's an easy yes into your day. Exactly. You'll notice over time the benefits and how it affects your body composition.
1: Exactly. And, and it's true because right now we are living in a world where I remember, you know, 20 years ago being in India in the mountains and watching, you know, the villagers, Coca Cola and Fanta up into the mountains when they could have easily just brewed, you know, they had all the ingredients to brew their own kombucha, this beautiful fermented beverage, which would have had the medicinal properties, the healing properties, been healthy, even if anything, it's just tea and a bacterial culture. And so, you know, they could have been making that and bottling that versus, you know, hauling these sugary, dyed, preserved, like highly, highly crazy processed, you know, disease-causing beverages with all the waste that comes with it, right? The bottles, the plastic, the glass, everything. Um, And then they could have saved their energy for transporting like other goods, right? But they were bringing that for the travelers that were coming through. And that just made me so sad because they do all of these Countries all around the world do have their own fermented gift to share with the world. And instead, man, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, Fanta instead made its way in. And so that's what I love so much about kombucha because people can also complain about the price of it too. Like, oh, $4 for a bottle or whatever it's going to be. But I'm like, you can brew it at home like it's actually not that hard to do. But I mean, obviously, you have the science of figuring out the best flavors and the best flavor combinations and knowing when to pull the scoby out and all of that. So I mean, I rather rely on having you make it for me than me having to manage it myself. (laughs) Just want to say that.
0: (laughs) Oh, thank you. It's it's funny, because it is simple. The ingredients are simple. And it's a relatively straightforward process once you get the a groove of it but so is bread and yeah. um, I know right now people are baking a lot of bread but that's one thing I've never taken on because it's just you know what for me it's a lot easier and more convenient to buy a beautiful loaf from our local bakery than it is for me to actually make it at home totally. and I think that's the same for a lot of people in regards to kombucha too because it's yeah. um it's a process,
1: yeah. Yeah, and it's an art. Like you are an artist. The bread makers are artists. You know, my husband tried to make bread through COVID, and it was hilarious because he'd spend <laughs> hours and days, you know, letting the the um, the yeast and the and the starter get all ready to go, and then literally his bread was coming out like biscotti, like in the oven. Yeah. We were like, and not so good. And then try it again, same thing. And then meanwhile, somebody else would come over and be like, we baked you a loaf of perfect bread. We're like, okay, we're just going to order from you from now on done. (laughs) Like, you know, there's an art to it. And some people have these amazing gifts. So tell us how you brought your gift to the world then, because this is so exciting because you hadn't run a bottling beverage business before. And the beverage world is a crazy industry,
0: right? It's gnarly. (laughs) (laughs) so tell us about that (laughs) yeah I think um so it was more so that I was sharing it with friends and then I was like I need to tell people about this so um lemonade style uh lemonade stand style hit up the farmer's market and um the concept launched as like a kombucha on tap so I kind of wanted to skip through the bottles and stuff and just get like samples and product into people getting people to pronounce kombucha properly because year one for me was like people didn't even know how to read kombucha it was a new word for a lot of people so for me it was just about sharing it with the community through the local farmers market squamish Whistler, and vancouver getting samples people to try it it was really important i knew that while sharing it with friends there was a certain um, sort of level where you got the kombucha face out of people and I call the kombucha face when your eyes squint your mouth goes into an o and it's and your head kind of like goes back a bit and that's kind of like almost like you taste something for the first time and it's like too robust too sour it's too too strong and a lot of um, my friends really were not accustomed to that flavor, so I tried to create a, I call it like an easy drinking everyday kombucha, something that you could have every day. It's dry, it's not too sweet, um, and it's also not overly flavored, so I wanted it to be light and flavored, so it was almost like tricking people into drinking yeah. kombucha a little bit because of the light infusion, but yeah, it all started like kind of like as an adult lemonade stand at the farmer's market. And it really was highly accepted by the local community. We just got so much support. And I just felt really like, wow, I'm actually contributing something and this feels good. Mm -hmm. This feels amazing. So that kind of just like, um, as people were local businesses were asking for the product. We started um, having taps in stores and it just kind of like grew from there. And then it got to the point where um, I couldn't field the request for, can you, um, can you put it in a bottle? So um, yeah, I started bottling our kombucha in glass bottles just last year and i held on strong to just keep it exclusively on on tap for a very long Mm -hmm. time and um i was really felt strongly about the sustainability side of it but it came to a point where um i had to find the most sustainable way to really get this into more hands and bellies so Mm -hmm. that was that was the best way to do it so um yeah started bottling it it's i think there's a perception that um maybe for some that it's done in a certain way but it's pretty handcrafted and when I say handcrafted we usually joke like we're kicking it Amish like everything's done by hand it's not mechanical as far as like technology goes like we're literally punching the caps onto the bottle Um, putting the labelers on is probably the most mechanical thing that we do and we hand fill every single bottle.
1: Wow that is and you are doing this on your own that's the other thing is that you know here here you were you left your comfy job in government and you ventured you were the first approved fermented kombucha company in the sea to sky corridor
0: Mm -hmm. yeah you like a,
1: a renegade you broke through you had to break through so many barriers which was incredible
0: it was tough. I, I most likely would have been out at the farmer's market at least a year sooner had I sort of been able to navigate the the health authority a little bit faster because they didn't have an approved food safety plan for, for kombucha okay. at the time. So my um, environmental health officer actually escalated my documentation to BC Center for Disease Control. They sent it to the US, the U their, their Center for Disease Control sent it actually to a kombucha, not a kombucha, but a fermentation specialist in in Utah. And then it finally came back down the line again in um, the comments where this is this is a re- reasonably safe producer practicing adequate precautions, which like in layman's terms was like it was a yes like it was a very like it was it sounded really like kind of um, very like maybe this isn't to anything to be concerned about but it was a, a heck yes for for yeah. for me because it was uh, it was my my golden ticket to like go ahead and start actually offering it to the community
1: yeah, and you also laid the groundwork for every other, you know, a kefir, kombucha. Fermented drink company in the Sea to Sky Corridor as well. Like that, and probably beyond as well. Like that is um, having that food safety plan in place. Cause it's it was the same for us in the restaurant when we were making a raw vegan chili, because wow. you know, you're chopping up mushrooms and walnuts and almonds and blending it with, you know, vegetables. And we had the same thing where they're like, uh, we don't know how to assess this, whether it's healthy or not, or if it's gonna hurt somebody or not. And we're like, you know what, like, let's just go through the process and we had to do the same thing, right? A food safety plan for, you know, raw vegetables, which is so funny. Yeah. Meanwhile, you have people out there that are able to produce like food dyed chemical additive foods, and they're getting approved faster than we are with just real whole like fruits and vegetables and teas and a little bit of sugar, right? Um, and, and then of course, the SCOBY. So you did incredible groundwork um, one of the other things about Scar- uh, spark kombucha and just how you got started that I really want to highlight is you know like speaking to you and, he- and hearing you I mean you sound like a savvy um, entrepreneur right who just kind of knew what you were doing everything like that when at the end, you were re- you did what everybody really needs to be doing when they launch a business because I think there's Too many people out there who have a business idea that just think it's going to be amazing and they're going to go build it and then the people will come. What you did was you were market testing. And I will never forget, I was building out the green mustache, (laughs) our plant-based whole food restaurant in Whistler, our first location. And there would just be a package at our door or somebody would come in and be like, Ellen brought this in for you. And it was four beautiful bottles in this little tiny cooler case. You had a handwritten note on that that said, Hey, just wanted to drop this off for you. Tell me what you think. Um, And I just thought it was a brilliant way to market and test your product. And of course, you know, I had all my staff in there helping to build out the restaurant, our plumbers, our electricians. And so I just sampled it around to everybody. So here you are, you drop off this sweet package of kombucha. And I had like 12 people testing it being like, oh my God, this is amazing. Um, And (laughs) what brilliant way to, to really get feedback on your product. And you know what, and it didn't take, like, for sure took effort, right? Because you're not making money when you're dropping off these samples. But I mean, come on, people out there who are listening to this, like, this is a brilliant way to test your product before you go and launch it big time. So I just had to say, like, literally, high five to you for doing that. Because I think it's a really good learning opportunity for any people who want to start a business out there. Thank
0: you. Yeah, it was a lot of work. But I think I didn't know what I was in for in the sense that it was like more of a passion project and like a labor of love. And I I just really, I am one of those, I'm that crazy friend that when I discover a new recipe, like there's a casserole at your door. I just love, it's like, if you haven't heard about it, I want you to experience it. So that's, it was just sort of an extension of the way I am as a person. And I think um, opposite like I didn't really go into it like I have full intentions of creating a business and now I need to find a product that's going to be a part of my business. The thing that a lot of people don't know is that I was actually working. Um, uh, so the way that it worked at our offices, we'd work um, four days a week or five days a week. And what I did is once I actually got accepted into the farmer's market, I took vacation days for every other Friday so that I would work a four week, uh, sorry, a four day work week. And so I spent a day brewing, which would be the Friday. And sometimes that brewing shift went straight into Saturday morning. And then Saturday morning, I'd be at the farmer's market uh, in Squamish. And then I'd finish at around five or six after like restocking and making sure I was ready for the next day, which was the Whistler farmer's market. And that was like a, um, a a 7am call time. So we'd be there at 7am setting up. And it didn't end till about, by the time you packed up about six and then the drive home. So it was a really long weekend and I really kind of did it, um, without a lot of people knowing so I had I was like nine to five Monday to Thursday and then I was um busy in the kitchen producing the kombucha and then slinging it every weekend and I think when you start off in a way that it's not necessarily going to be a business then you really um it's a test to see whether or not you could could do something like that and what the how attached you are to the product that you want to take it to Mm -hmm. sort of the next level. So yeah, it was, had I known the amount of work that was involved, maybe I wouldn't have launched a business. Who knows?
1: But None um, of us would, none of us would. (laughs) You have to be naive when you're going into this, you have to be passionate and you have to be naive. So then, okay. So then let's like riff off that for a little bit, because once you obviously got into these, working four days a week in government and then 72 hours straight of brewing kombucha and selling kombucha in the farmer's market. Like what made you decide then after that, that you just wanted to go for it and quit, quit your job in government?
0: It came to the point where I loved it so much um, that the question wasn't about what is the risk of doing this, it became a question about what's the risk in not doing this kombucha. And it was really like um, maybe a fine balance and then this scales tipped and it was, parent. it was like an epiphany it was like me cleaning the bathtub one day with baking soda and vinegar spraying the vinegar and I was like I am doing this and this is it's gonna be and I was thinking about a name and I was like it's gonna be spark kombucha because this has really not only sparked a lot of things in beneficially in my health but also like I felt like wow I have like a direction, like I actually really want to do something. I'm not just sort of um, following within the herd of what I think I was supposed to do um, like I had in the past. So it was was quite apparent to me. It was still scary, but it was um, blended so heavily with excitement that the fear was a little bit overshadowed by the enthusiasm.
1: Right. And that's what has to happen, right? It's that, um, it's when the pain actually becomes diminished and it's like the pain of not doing it it would be bigger than anything else. So you just have to do it. And the fear all of a sudden becomes so tiny. And I mean, it's always still going to be there, right? When you're running your business because every day is a brand new day. So I have to ask you, so what are the, like, what are your, rocking stellar amazing qualities as an entrepreneur in this company and spark kombucha like what is it that you ellen we does so well in your company that helps you to succeed i'm so curious about that because entrepreneurs are often you know we're often bashing ourselves like i don't do this good enough and i don't do that good enough and oh my gosh i have my to-do list is a hundred and items and i'll never get them done so you're always feeling like you're catching up but what is the area that you find that you excel at the best in your company
0: Oh, that's a tough one. I think um, I think when you have a lack of resources and um, you're forced to be creative, almost like going back to how um, how sushi was invented in the sense that you have no other option, you have to figure it out, and for me, I think I love the theory of things so I love learning about stuff um anything really like I can really take a deep dive in anything that really perks my interest and then so I like the theory side of things but I'm also a constant tinkerer like I I'm kind of like I feel like I'm gonna be like when I get older I'm going to be like that old man tinkering in his garage all the time with the garage door up with the kids like riding their bikes by. But I love tinkering. And um, I think it's kind of like a playful way of like sort of making something your own or figuring things out. But I'm a very hands on person. Um, So I'm not sure, like, I think I'm I'm a little bit hard on myself as most people in business are because it's, there's a lot to do. There's a lot of hats to wear. And, um, but I feel really grateful that sort of um, you have to kind of figure it out. Your boss isn't going to give you a guaranteed paycheck. So it's, it's just out of sheer necessity that everything is figure outable and you find a way. And if it's, sort of not working, then you switch because you're actively so involved in it um, that you have a direct visceral response to the things that you're doing. Um, your, Your feedback is almost instant when you're that involved with your project or your business.
1: Yeah, you touched on um, two of my favorite people, uh, the, uh, mentors in the world that I really follow when it comes to, to life, actually, not just running a business, but even just parenting and uh, mindset and, and everything really, philosophy, uh, principles, values. And that is number one, Marie Forleo. She's an incredible business coach who actually has a great book called, you know, Everything is outable such a great title for a book. Um, And then Tony Robbins. And you mentioned that it's the, you know, when you just have to figure it out and when you don't have a ton of resources. So that he calls that being hungry. So when you are hungry, you will always figure it out. You are going to find the food. You are going to find the money. You are going to find the time. You are going to find the 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 problem and tinker it out until it's fixed and find the solution and I think that those two things are what makes somebody be able to survive the world of running a business I mean constant rejection, uh, you know constant lack of cash flow, uh, constant tiredness you know, dealing with customer service, dealing with like literally the plethora of all the areas of what it takes to run a business. So you really hit the nail on the head there. So what are the areas of your business that, um, or what are the areas that, sorry, in your life that, that support you or what do you use to support yourself in being able to show up every day to be able to do this work? Because it's, it's more than just being scrappy and hungry, too. We do need those other tools in our toolbox.
0: And I learned that
1: the hard way
0: <laughs> through burnout. So um, just sort of on a light side of it, I definitely try and take advantage of things that... Um, help me streamline my life. Like, so for example, I'm not on email like every second of the day, I batch my emails. I do it like once in the morning and once late in the day, because if you're constantly on email, then it's really gonna take you away from the focus time that you need. So just kind of like little sort of productivity hacks like that, but I think um, you, if you are the business, you have to take care of yourself and i say that in a way because i have gone through extreme burnout or when my body has just completely failed from the lack of sleep not eating on time lack of hydration whatever the case may be because you're so consumed with um running your business that the business starts running you Mm -hmm. so i was lucky enough that I had um, some big moments, um, some powerful moments that guided me to reflect on self-care. So I think self-care is massive. And for me, self-care is about, and it's different for everybody, um, is about just um, not moving so fast that you're not able to think. So, for example, um, uh, asking yourself once in a while, "Am I thirsty?" Mm. Was I hungry or am I actually just thirsty? Do I need some more water?" And even like one step before being able to relate to those kind of questions, for me, it was meditation, and um I love meditation for what it does because it's actually um I think there's a perception of meditation and I've, I was there and I, I was definitely guilty of this, but I thought meditation had to be a certain way. Like you can't think, Oh, I can't sit for that long. I'm already thinking about a snack. Like it's, it's a very difficult process to be a part of when you have an expectation that you are supposed to levitate or something like that you know so I was lucky enough to really discover some really interesting and and um different ways of meditating and now I kind of stick to a routine that I have um but um having that time of meditation whether it be in the morning or in the afternoon is really important because it's it's actually if you really think of it like brushing your teeth it's it's kind of mental hygiene as opposed to finding enlightenment because it's it's more so like a check-in in in the day and, and it really helps you it buys you a few seconds when maybe you're you're possibly going to say something that you're going to regret, but it really, that really builds in you the more committed uh, meditation practice that you have. And I think for me, one step sort of before the meditation is my mornings. And because I incorporate my meditation into the mornings, excuse me, um, I have this block of time in the morning that is um, probably early for most but I have this routine and I call it my morning miracles and that usually involves waking up, glass of water, uh, glass of water with um, lemon, warm if possible and um, I normally will sort of have a few moments and then start a meditation. And then a part of the Morning um, Miracles is actually, it's, um, I believe there's an acronym for it and it's based on a book. Um, The author was Hel Elroyd, Rod, I wanna say. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but uh, the acronym is SAVERS and it's like S, silence. A, affirmations, V, visualization, E is um, exercising, reading, and scribing. So like that, that's kind of like the basic foundations of it. And I actually incorporate that in my morning walk with my, my doggy. Um, So having that silence really start the day kind of anchored and um, kind of going through some affirmations and it's not um I don't want to say it's it's really it's not cheesy in the sense that people think of affirmations and they're not really mantras or like kind of uh taglines or anything it's it's just really saying out loud what you yourself so I Ellen and then you insert what you want to transform to to become. So I think that's really important because we we definitely have been a little bit programmed and a part of our ego is also to keep us really safe. And so we've got all of these really background programs running to keep us safe and and a lot of the times there's a little bit of judgment to make sure that we're we're protected and whatnot but at the same time we can be really hard on ourselves Mm -hmm. and that's that's a natural response um, that we're all used to but um an affirmation is really just to remind yourself to speak to yourself like you would a child. Like some of the things we say to ourselves we would never say to a child. So that's kind of the important side of the affirmations. And visualization too, I think is is a kind of um, touches on sort of the mental side of things and, and your creativity and, and when you visualize as well, sometimes you get into instances where you can't actually visualize a situation because you've never experienced it so that can also kind of lead you into wanting to experience new experiences and of course um exercising we all know has even if it's like 10 minutes of like just getting your heart rate up and like this part of the walk looks really strange to people because I'll have my dog attached to my waist and we'll just be doing the affirmation so they'll see me talking to myself (laughs) doing my (laughs) affirmation and then we'll break out into a 10 minute jog Um, and then uh, so it looks really strange if anyone has seen me I don't think I've ever caught someone catching me Doing all of this, but if they were seeing me, it would probably look quite bizarre. Um, so the exercising component. And then when we get back home, I usually will listen to, like, I. It's like a must, listen to 10 minutes of like a book or a podcast or or something. One of my favorites right now is uh, Productivity Game and he does book synopsises. So it's kind of like you get the rundown of a particular book and then I write about it. And so the, those are the sort of the, the principles of morning miracles, but um, I, I definitely practice that. Some days it's, it's kind of a, a variation of it, so it might not include the, the reading component or maybe even not the exercise component or the scribing component. But um, overall, there's always a section of the morning for me where I start, um, that it's like my time. And it sounds kind of selfish, but it's strictly to almost prime myself for the day and um because personally for me I don't know if it's the same for most people if it's not planned or if it doesn't get done right away it can usually fall off your plate so I took a very um deliberate intentional sort of um uh, I made sure to sort of get that three hours in the morning to do the things that I want to do
1: which is amazing because we all have 24 hours in the day and we can choose how we use those hours and I know it for myself with training right now for this run across Canada that um, anytime I push my training a little bit further back and think I'm going to do it this afternoon, it always means that I'm doing it late into the evening, sometimes in the dark, in the cold, in the rain. Um, and I could have just done it that morning. And instead I spend my whole day thinking, oh, I should have just gone this morning. I should have just gone this morning. And you know what, if it just went this morning, it'd be over and done with. And But it's all still within the same 24 hour period. So it's important I used to think about it too, that it's a luxury to do these things when as an entrepreneur, especially, or as a mother or somebody who's working or any human, it is so important to give yourself that time uh, to think and reflect. And when I was in Africa, I saw that readily in, you know, people worked hard. They worked all day from sunrise to sunset, but the minute the sunset. They were sitting in the porch, staring at the stars, feeling the wind and taking that time to just relax. And then they would go to bed. It wasn't just like drop everything and hit the sack. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, we need to do that and prioritize it. And, and I don't know about yourself, but I see a lot of young entrepreneurs, like brand new entrepreneurs starting. And I wish I could just like shake them and be like, do the self care, you know, or I don't know if it's just something you have to, I don't know if you have to hit the burnout, before you offer yourself that but I really wish for all all humans out there it's to it's to self love self-compassion self-care every single day and we will all be better humans on the planet um let's let's chat into, uh, or let's chat into, let's dive into these amazing kombucha kits that you have. And we can wrap up with that because I just think it's awesome what you are doing with this next phase of your business. Oh
0: yeah. Um, I think ever since I started making kombucha and offering it to the community, it was a lot of people had questions. So it, I, the first few years it it actually felt like more like an information booth um, like kind of answering all of those curious minds and now I think with kombucha being so popular um, some people drink a lot of it and some people are compelled to make it at home so we meet some of those people but there's I see their hesitation like they're coming back asking questions or they're like texting or um, direct messaging me saying like can I bring my scoby in so that you can look at it to make sure it's healthy like a lot of sort of like little questions like that and I can totally relate because I even though I was not um, afraid of fermentation um, and it was something I was very exposed to I understood that it could be a scary thing in the sense that there's there's um it's, it's, the metrics are almost art in the sense that it's based on taste. Okay, it's this, this tartness is um, enough that I know that it's ready. And if you're not used to sort of that methodology, then it it's a very scary thing. So um, just through the years with people asking, oh, questions, and oh, can I get a SCOBY from you? Because they didn't trust the SCOBY that, you know, they got off Craigslist or something like that. Um, And I had actually gone through a lot of curation when I was making it at home. And it was like, I don't want to buy, you know, a hundred of these specific items that I want for making kombucha at home so I knew sort of the um, barriers to get set up at home like there was never like a kombucha kit that you could buy and like get going and I know a lot of people are eager to kind of do that and they want to just head right in so we created a kit and it was um, all stuff that I curated knowing and remembering the hesitation that I had. So there's a safety component built in. So you do, excuse me, a little bit of pH testing. You're getting a high quality commercially made kombucha starter with the the culture as well. And then I found all the cool stuff that you don't need to search around with. So we put it in a box and it's available for you. Um, It's really important to like, really empower other people to make kombucha or to be a part of the kombucha revolution because um, the more people we have involved the more exposure and awareness we have and I hope that one day um, that all of the soft drink products are obsolete and that it's filled with functional um, healthy beverages, mm-hmm. and there's really only one way to do that: is to make kombucha normal, make mm-hmm. all of these other healthy um, functional beverages normal, and we got to bring it into the house. We got to make sure that um, people sort of appreciate the process and and make it their own, because the best kombucha is made by you, like you know your own taste you know how yeah. much flavor you want to ask add and how bubbly you want it to be so I think like knowledge is power and like mm. sharing that knowledge is the superpower so it's it's something that um has been highly requested so we have kombucha kits that you can get um, we'll have them online soon we'll have a new website dropping pretty soon so that you can order them online but a lot of people do just it's pretty old school like we're tiny micro business like people still call and they're like hi can I speak to Ellen I'd like a you know it's very (laughs) it's very neighborhood community like um, but that being said as well some people from California find us online and they want to talk to the head of branding and we're like Oh, hi. <laughs> it's me, it's, Ellen. Oh, it's, it's also me. <laughs> so yeah, so we have these um, amazing kits available and they support you on kind of like, I, I like to break it down as like kombucha is almost like juggling. When you're juggling with one ball, that's like starting a batch and it's pretty basic and you you can't really mess that up. But once you start like bottling that batch and starting a new batch that's your second ball in the air and then it's like ooh, I want a flavor I want to carbonate and now you're juggling with three balls in the air so we just try and make it as easy as it can be for you to develop like sort of your own system so that you can use us as the guideline and as well you can you have the safety net of like ph testing and making sure that your brew starts super healthy and then ends in a in a level where you're like oh this ph is what it's supposed to be now i can taste it oh that's the taste i'm going for Mm -hmm. so i know where it's almost like you're training your tongue to understand what um sort of um, range your kombucha is supposed to taste and then it really the art takes over people start you know getting really creative um and they start expressing themselves through kombucha like they might discover a new new berry and then put it in there and i think also i feel really connected to um i'm a bit of a homebody too but i feel really connected to working with your hands and um for me i think about like the sessions I had with my granny where we would be making dumplings for like three days in a row and stockpiling that and I think there's something to be said about connecting with your food with the people that are in your life and I think making kombucha creates that in the home as well and and I think especially with COVID people are looking for things to do with their family in the house so We've got kombucha brew kits to, if you're looking to start that
1: journey amazing we are gonna we have you've shared so much invaluable information from the books and uh, um, I know you follow Emily Fletcher for example and Deepak Chopra for meditation we'll put those links in there we'll put your brew kit links in there and we're gonna make this whole podcast accessible for everybody to be able to access like all these beautiful tools and resources that you have provided to the world and I just have to say I love your big hairy audacious goal of getting, you know, walking into a grocery store and not seeing any more of those carbonated, you know, terrible processed sugary dyed drinks that are harming so many people on the planet. And really only seeing these beautiful functional beverages that um, provide health and healing instead of disease and harm. And I just have to commend you for that, Ellen. You are a superpower in this world. And it has been such a pleasure having you on the show and such a pleasure just knowing you all of these years. And I look so forward to seeing your kombucha journey and entrepreneurial journey unfold. Thank you for being here. Thank you
0: so much. Thank you. It absolutely could not be possible with the community that's around us. And I think we're particularly Um, lucky to have sort of this amazing sea to sky corridor where businesses can do stuff like this and it's not it doesn't have to be a lonely journey like there are so many more local kombucha brewers within different regions that are out there so for me I don't feel alone in that sense like we can tackle this together like we can get kombucha on the shelves and all of that stuff, but with the Sea to Sky Corridor, we have such an amazing community where, you know, um, people are trying to lose weight so that they can lose a centimeter from their thighs so that they can run a microsecond faster and then we have peop- we have like this amazing dining circuit of international foods and then we have this incubation of these creatives and athletics in the community where entrepreneurship is almost a no-brainer yeah. like it's it's just an amazing network and support um system to be a part of and Thank you for being a part of my journey.
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, it has been, um, it goes hand in hand because I think we watch each other go through these paces of going from, you know, a life of, I don't know, whatever, normalcy and, and doing what we think is expected of us to then sparking an idea and then watching each other take those first baby steps and then take the leap right? Leaving the job behind and then really just making our, our dreams that we have come true and also watching those dreams also unfold, right? Like it's, you know, when Spark first started, you know, it, you know I, I, I don't think you would have articulated, I want to see every beverage, you know, soda pop gone off the shelves. But then the more you learn about it, the more you see that your idea has the ability to impact the world. Hey, and welcome, Back. Did you not just love that episode with Ellen Wee from Spark Kombucha? I always love listening to stories about how entrepreneurs left their corporate nine to five gig and ventured out there to start their own business. It's a scary thing to do. I've done it many times over, and now I'm a serial entrepreneur, whatever they want to call me. I can't stop doing it, but that's because when you work for yourself, It's not easy, it's tough, but every day is exciting. And Ellen shows us that with what she did through Spark Kombucha and her business. So go out there, if you're in the Sea to Sky Corridor or Vancouver, and you can get access to Ellen and her kombucha and her kombucha making kits, you can start brewing this in your own home as well. Now, don't forget, head over to Facebook and sign up for our 22 million strong training tribe so you can learn everything I'm doing to propel myself through plant-based foods across Canada next year. You can follow my training, my nutrition plans, and so much more. And of course, for a very short time, you're going to have access to our Eat Real to Heal program that you can get. It's a five-week program that teaches you how to switch your lifestyle over to eating clean, real food, plant-based whole foods, and the type of diet that actually will reverse and can reverse your chronic degenerative diseases like heart disease, diabetes, autoimmune disorders, infertility, and so, so much more, particularly mental health conditions like anxiety, panic attacks, migraines, um, and and so many more. So you can get access to that course. I believe it's 50% off right now. So instead of $97, which is already a discounted rate from our $600 price tag, you can get that course for only $49. So head over to our website now, get that course, because it's only available for the next month. And after that, the price goes right back up. And so you want to get access to that now. And of course, if you haven't already done so, go over to Amazon and order your copy of Eat Real to Heal. I wrote that book two years ago. It's still an Amazon bestseller. So you want to get a copy of that because that is an easy read that'll teach you all about using food as medicine to reverse your chronic degenerative diseases including cancer. So you want to get a copy of that easy read. And of course, if you do have a chronic degenerative disease and you want help starting today, email us at richerhealth.ca, book a consulting session with us. They're three hours long and you are going to learn everything you know to be able to successfully reverse your disease. So head over there now and book a consult with yours truly, Nicolette Richet. That's me, the host of this Eat Real to Heal podcast. Thanks everyone for listening and for being with us. And again, let's give a shout out to Becky for producing our podcast and getting it out beautifully every week. Thanks Becky for all you do. See you later, everyone. Bye-bye.